young children are dismissed as we have our student uh, small group happening at this time as well. Jenna Cruz, good morning. Now I'm going to apologize right in advance because I know you guys realize it's probably been a few Sundays that I've spoken. It's been a couple and I haven't done sermon snacks. You were probably expecting it this morning. So, but I couldn't do it to the waffle team in the lobby. I could not pass out sermon snacks and then you guys fill up on sermon snacks and then nobody wants a waffle to support, you know, check and missions and things like that. So I promise you next time I speak, I will come bearing sermon snacks. (laughs) Something to look forward to. (laughs) Rain came and wind blew, but my house was built on rock. This morning, please pray. Upon this house, I will build my church. Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is faithful, the Bible says, and true to a thousand generations. This is not a game. This is a series that we're in right now. This is not a game. This is a serious time in our lives to live for Jesus. And I don't want to live one more day of my life on things that do not hold an eternal value. A couple weeks ago, Craig and I were talking, and we were talking about doing this little adventure. It's something that um, we've talked about with faith and a different thing. It was just a very small conversation about it was like a visiting like this movie or TV set, and it was kind of a cool idea. And we were looking into it a little bit, and, and then later that day, he was like, is that something you seriously want to do? And I looked at him, and I said this, and we obviously were on the same page on this. And I said, you know, if this is something that I feel the Lord on, that it is going to be of value for our family, for the three of us as we, you know, and it's something that's going to be lasting, then I'm all in. It was, you know, it's kind of, it's like pricey, you know. I said, but if this is just another event, another thing, another, you know, cool thing, but maybe a time and money waster, then I'm not doing it. Because I am so done with frivolous things that fill up my life that have no eternal value or impact. And I feel like I've always had a little bit of a resolve of that in my life, even since I was little. It's always kind of been a little bit a part of me. But uh, today, I just feel it so much stronger than I ever have in my life. And I just wish that it didn't wake me. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't have to wait this long till in my 40s to truly, truly get it. The the disciplines of implementing spiritual patterns in our lives lead us to a place where we are building our lives correctly. Okay. So the foundation of which our lives sit on, it can be strong. It can be secure, level, trustworthy, which is what we want. In, in, when we lay these spiritual disciplines, we create a framework of our days and our lives that will be fortified and an overall structure that will be secure, a future. We cannot build a successful life outside of the ways of the Lord. We can have appearances of success. But the moment external challenges face us, we are at risk to lose it all. The structure of our lives outside of Jesus cannot stand the testing of the winds, of the floods, or of the fire. There is a story of the three little pigs. Okay, it's a fable. It's a fable that we have been hearing about for many, many years. It's old. And it is about three pigs who build three different houses with three different sets of materials. There is a big, bad wolf. 
that blows down the first two little pigs' houses that are made of straw and sticks. But he is unable to destroy the third little pig's house that is made with brick. The story begins with these, these little pigs being sent out into the world by their mother to find their good fortune, to build a life, to have, you know, the things that they need and desire in their lives. And the first little pig goes out and he grabs all his straw and then the wolf comes along, blows it, and then eats the pig. Yeah, I know. The second little pig builds a house of sticks, which the wolf also comes along, blows it down, and then it takes a little bit more effort, but then he eats the pig. Each exchange between the wolf and the pig features this little kind of tune that I think we're all a little bit familiar with, where it's like, little pig, little pig, let me come in. Then I'll huff, and I'll blow your house in. So the third little pig builds his house of bricks, and the wolf cannot blow it down. Well, then he attempts to trick the pig, and he, he arranges scenarios where they will meet up in other locations. But it doesn't work, because every time he's outwitted by the third little pig, he gets there first. He gets incredibly frustrated, and he says, okay, I'm going to go down the pig's chimney. So he goes to go down the, chi- the pig's chimney, and he's going to get him that way from the inside, only to find a pot of water that the pig has put in the fireplace, a boiling pot of water. The wolf falls into this pot of wa- water and is fatally boiled, avenging the death of the pig's brothers. After cooking the wolf, pig proceeds to eat the meat of the wolf for dinner. Uh, This is the, like, the original. (laughs) It's been changed over the years, but honestly, we wonder why our children are, like, so messed up. We we read these stories before bedtime, and then they sleep on this? Gosh. (laughs) Which pig are you? Now, that might feel a little offensive. So before you get a little offended that I just called you all pigs and I'm asking you to identify yourself at which one you are, I want to point out some pig facts that might help me feel a little bit better being called a pig today. Number one, pigs are very clean animals. Yeah, despite moms for generations consistently calling their kids a, you know, their kids bedroom a pigsty, pigs are actually very clean. They're some of the cleanest animals on the planet. They will not poop where they sleep. And uh, newborn piglets will even leave newborns their sleeping areas to go to the bathroom. Number two, pigs can't sweat. You ever heard the term sweat like a pig? That's not real. Pigs don't sweat. Pigs don't sweat. It's misleading. They don't have sweat glands, so they roll around and sleep in mud and and swim in water to keep cool. And a bonus to the rolling around in mud, it keeps their skin from being sunburned. Yeah. Number three, pigs are smarter than your dog. Now, this was a little offensive to me because Peaches is so smart. That's our little dog. And so I didn't like this one, but it is a fact about pigs. Pigs have the intelligence of a human toddler. I mean, anyway, they're ranked as the fifth most intelligent animal in the world. And they're trainable, even more so than some dogs. They learn their names in just two weeks, and they will come when they're called. Yeah, they're even capable of playing video games better than some people. Now, I have never seen a pig hold an Xbox controller. I'm saying, I have never seen this. They say they can do it. Exactly. Exactly. Don't trust everything you read on the internet. Number four, mother pigs tend to their babies. Now that's just so sweet. Uh, Newborn piglets learn to run towards their mother's voices. Number five, pigs love belly rubs. Yeah, interesting. They use trees to rub and scratch on on their bellies, um, but they even love them from their human caretakers. 
Uh, they have to if they have toys, they will play with each other and with the toys. Number six, pigs have excellent sense of direction. They're navigators, so they can find their way home over a large distance. They can even trot long distances and reach up to 11 miles an hour running. It's pretty cool. Uh, pigs dream, and they like to sleep nose to nose. If you've ever seen pigs all sleeping, they kind of all like huddle together because they like to be connected and sleeping together. And um, number eight, pigs have excellent memories, especially when it comes to object location. So if they, if they find that there's a good spot for food, they will remember it the next day and go back there for the food. So those are some facts about pigs. So now, in light of the non-offensive version of the pig, in the story of the frugal pigs, which pig are you? Today, we're going to reflect a little bit. Are we little pig number one? with building materials to shop? Are we little pig number two with building materials of, of sticks or wood? Or are we little pig number three with the bricks to stone? What materials are we building our house upon? Are we using materials of eternal value, building with what is lasting, or are we building with the wood, the sticks, the straw, the hay? Are we brick builders? It's a lot more work. Bricks are heavy. It's tiresome. It's potentially hard to find and time-consuming with the bricks. But, but what are we using as we build our lives, our families, our ministries? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. And I'm actually going to read it, uh, it's verse 12 to 17. I'm going to read it in three different translations uh, because I like them all. And I didn't want to choose. And also, let's just get the word in us a little bit this morning. So now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet only as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. That was the New American Standard Bible. Now, the message. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there's going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you'll be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You, will, you won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and turned over. You won't be torn out. You'll survive, but just barely. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God, and God himself is present in you? No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred, and you, remember, are the temple. Now the Amplified. But if anyone builds upon the foundation, whether it be with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, the work of each one will become plainly open and known for what it is. For the day of Christ will disclose and declare it because it will be revealed with fire. That fire will test and critically appraise the character and worth of the work each person has done. If the work which any person has built on this foundation survives, he will get his reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer the loss of it, though himself will be saved, but only as one who has passed through the fire. Do you not discern and understand that you are God's temple and that God's spirit has permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you collectively as a church and also individually? If anyone does hurt to God's temple or corrupts it or destroys it, God will do hurt and bring to him corruption, death, and destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, 
And that temple, you, the believing church, and the individual believers are. This is not a game. This passage must be one of the most direct statements of eternal value of our earthly works on all of Scripture. The work that we do on earth, to the extent to which we do it, and the ways that we do it in the Lord, will go into eternity. Paul is speaking specifically of the work being done in the community of the church, which he likens to a temple. Paul compares himself as a skilled master builder who has laid the foundation, which is Jesus. And then on top of this foundation, others is coming, and they are responsible to lay his own work. He's not making a judgment about salvation here. He is saying this is not a matter of salvation, actually. It's it, that... He said, even if your work fails the test, you will be saved. The builder will be saved. So it's not a saved or not saved passage. He's concerned with the church as a whole and then how his leaders are within the church and us individually with how we are building our lives. So if you contribute to the unity of the church, you will be commended. However, if your ministry has strife or meaningless fluff or conflict or, or, or you are in inadvertently you are inviting God's wrath upon you because he passionately protects his temple. So this applies to all kinds of work. It, in, in other places of the Bible, Paul refers to um, Christians, their work outside of the church as well. And no matter if it's in a secular environment or in a church environment, we all work as to onto the Lord. So whatever our work is, it will be evaluated by the Lord, by God, in the church, out of the church, in the public demonstration of our lives or in the secret place of our home. This is the, the sweetest, amazing thing, but also the scariest thing to know that that final assessment as we stand before the Lord will be by God himself. It's better in one regard than any human boss because God operates with perfect justice. But he's also, and he's also able to factor in things like our intent, our limitations, but he's also have, can factor in our motive, but also his mercy. There's just a lot. God has called us as believers to work in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And he has put on us a personal responsibility to mature in him. We cannot do this with straw and sticks. On a church level, like if I'm talking corporately as, as we are building our church, this starts with me and Craig. And we know this. It starts with the pastors and the leadership and the elders. And then it's all of us. See, we need to be less caught up with who we are following, what model or structure we're, you know, trying to replicate, duplicate, and more in how we are living and the materials we are using. If I don't lay a proper foundation of Jesus on my life, how is this helping my pastoral staff here at this church? If they don't build with eternal lasting materials, how is that impacting the leaders in their ministries? If you as leaders in this church and in your families, if you build on your life on whatever is convenient or nearby or fun or interesting or or, or, or what you just like or don't like, what on earth will we all look like in five years, 10 years, 15 years? What will our lives look like? What will our families look like? What will our church or our city? It will be a mess. The foundation will be off. It'll cause for a crooked walls and a flimsy structure. See, we build today for tomorrow. It's too late tomorrow to change your materials. You can't you look back after your life has turned out way different than you had hoped and say, oh, I'll just do it differently now. The structure is already built. The time has passed. The family has grown. The kids are raised. 
It's over. It's done. It's the, ch the church has been impacted. Today it needs to change. And you're like, well, you know what? You're right, Renee. It's too late for me. It's, my, it's just too late. I did it wrong. In some ways, yeah. We can't go back and undo what we've done. But you don't have to repeat it either. So you can change today for your next five years and your next 10 years and your next 15 years. What materials are filling our days? What is it that fills our time that we are laying upon the foundation of our lives with our time and our money and our talents? What extracurricular fills? What self-help? What exercise? You know, what... what Checking out the latest food spots or entertainment. You know, a lot of these things are actually pretty great and pretty fun. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with them, but they're not eternal. They're not eternal. They add adventure to our lives, but they're not lasting. You know, and I don't care how, how much we can convince ourselves that they're really, you know, they matter because our kids love it. And it's just bonding us as a family. You know, you know that... That may be true, and it's not all bad, and I'm not saying that because I like to do those things too, but I do know that one day I will stand before Jesus. And the hours I've accumulated watching that game, miles I've run, shows I've seen will not matter the moment it's all burned up. What? are we building our lives with and on? What are we building our ministry with and on? Each one is responsible for his own work. Which pig are you? This morning I want to talk about the pig with the bricks or the precious stones and what he is working with. Now there are a lot of bricks I could talk about. I'm only going to mention three. The first one is prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus called the house of God a house of prayer. He didn't say a house of gathering. He didn't say a house of family dinners. He didn't say a house of worship even. He didn't say a house of great kids' programs or good coffee and treats. He didn't even say a house of waffles. <laughs> he said a house of prayer. Are we doing it wrong? Does it look like a house of bricks? we're in the prayer room and I look around and sometimes it's, it's pretty full and sometimes it's not and I know it's different because there's different things going on but when sometimes I look around and I think half the people have to be in here because we're paid to be in here <laughs> does it look like a house of prayer See, when someone asks you what your house is like, if someone says, what's your dynamic of your home? You don't talk about the things that happen when it's forced, like when someone's made to be there or planned or strongly encouraged. <laughs> you talk about the things that organically happen in your home because it's who you are. The things that happen when no one's trying. One day, one day, this church, will be a house of prayer. Not because it has to be, just because it is. <laughs> Nothing can replace prayer. There's no shortcut to prayer in our life. There is no cliff note version. It's time. It's focus. It's energy. It's intentional before it's ever second nature. We must work to develop a prayer life. This is a brick to build your life with. There's no way around it. You know, there's been times in our lives when we've really gone to, like, intense season of prayer. And, and um, there's times when we were 
we're doing some youth ministry and and we're like gosh we just need breakthrough and we would every morning you know we would pray and pray and there was times when we uh when we were in canada and we took uh, a lead role and it was a very unusual situation we stepped into that role and and we didn't know what we were doing we felt so young and inexperienced and and every morning we would spend an hour just praying craig and i just praying and pacing the front of um, our church, the altar area, just praying, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. And, and I, I believe in those times, there were, that's why we got our breakthrough. And that's why we saw success in, in, in ministry, in, in people's lives, in healings, and signs and wonders. It was, the, it was the prayer. It wasn't anything else we were doing because we didn't know what to do. But it was the prayer. We came from a conference a couple weeks ago, and in that conference, there's a story this youth pastor told. He said this, he said, I, I started youth pastoring and I was doing some like awesome things. He said we had really cool game nights and he said I even lit myself on fire. And the students loved it. He literally lit himself on fire. And he said the students love it and, you know, it was, it was great. But he said after about 18 months of doing it, I was worn out. I was tired. I, I saw really no fruit at all. The group wasn't growing. And he felt like God asked him, hey, are you done running your own youth group yet? The youth pastor said, yeah, God, I need, I need help. Help me do it your way. So the first thing God said, he said to him this, he said, I want you to take your Monday to Friday, the days that you're in your work office hours, and I want you to pray instead during those. So all the things that you used to do, all the work, I want you to stop doing that, and I want you to pray. So the youth pastor said, okay, I'm going I'm going to do this. So he said it was extremely hard. He said, you know, after the first 20 minutes, he's like, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> you know, then he sang for a little bit, and he's like, I'm out of songs, you know. And that was just the first morning of the first day. But he did it. He pushed through. The so he went a whole week, Monday to Friday, and he prayed for like the eight hours a day. The following Wednesday, he showed up at youth, and he said, God, when he showed up, he said, I don't have a message prepared because I've been praying all week. <laughs> I had no time. And God said, when you get up on the stage, I'll give you what to say. He gets up on stage, and he looks down at the group, and he's like, I don't even recognize half of these students. Like, where do they come from? He's like, all these students are here. God says, I want you to ask who needs healing, who needs physical healing to come up, and I'm going to heal them. So he looks down and he sees these students that he doesn't recognize. He sees one in a wheelchair and the students next next to this one in the wheelchair has a growth on his neck and it's it's huge and he's like, I don't even know these kids. So he says, Okay, if you need healing, I want you to come. So twelve students came up on the stage. And then he said, God, where should I start? He said, I want you to start with the one in the wheelchair. He said, Okay. So he walks up to the student in the wheelchair. And he says a very simple prayer. He just prays, says, oh, get out of the wheelchair. Get out of here now. Well, the kid jumped up. Jumped up. Instantly healed. It, th this is a couple weeks ago we heard this, this story. It, he jumps up out of the wheelchair, and he's instantly healed. The youth pastor's like, I can't even believe it. You know, like, I don't know any, like, what just happened? He prays for the next one with the growth. The growth dissolves just like that. And then he goes one by one, all 12, all 12 instantly healed. Well, He's in complete shock. So the next, you know, the, the kids all go home later that night, and he starts his work week again the next week, and he shows up in his office, and he says, God, what should I do this week? And God says, I want you to pray all week. And he says, oh, no. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> that was the hardest week of my life. And God said, yeah, I want you to do it again. So he spent another whole week praying in his office from Monday to Friday during his work hours. The following youth night, they had 200 new students show up. I guess the students that got healed all went to their schools, and they told everyone about it, and they all came back to find out what was happening. That week, there was kids manifesting demons that got instantly free. There was healings. There was miracles. There was salvations. The youth group continued to grow every week because God began to run the show. He said, God began to run my youth group from start to finish. He said, I never had to set myself on fire again. 
and kids just kept coming. See, we need to learn to carry our cross. We need to learn the discipline of prayer. Five minutes, ten minutes are not enough to build our lives with, to build our ministry with. Before Jesus went to the cross, in in the Bible it talks about how he said, wait here and pray. And then he went a little further because he said, I'm going to go over here and pray. And he came back after an hour. They were sleeping. (laughs) They were all sleeping. And he was like, you couldn't even tarry one hour? See, I, I do know that there is grace for a season, I, I, for seasons of life, and, and I understand that. But there's also a call to more. See, God understands where you are, but he also understands the motives and the intentions of our heart. So there's a difference between when we have a desire to do it, but we just physically, like we literally cannot for some reason. Maybe it's a, you know, you're a young mom, or maybe there's a just some things going on in your life, and it's impossible for you to do it and I believe there's grace in different seasons but but there's also a pull to more to rearrange some things to do do what's hard you know like because there's just there's just things that you cannot access without sacrifice what is it about us let's ask let's ask this for let's ask this of ourselves what is it about us that can line up, you know, for an hour or two in the cold to get into a concert or a sports game, can sit at that game or concert for three hours longer if it encores or if there's overtime, can scream, can jump, can shout till we are literally dead. We can hike a three-mile mountain in 80 degrees because we're just, like, motivated, but we can't spend an hour praying. Like, what is that? Or after 20 minutes of worship, we decide, I think I'm just going to soak in the Lord instead now for the rest of the time. What, like, what is that? Why do we spend the best of our lives investing our time and our money and our energy in things that are internal? Why, why do we do that? Like, what is it that we are okay with and actually more interested in the sticks and the hay and the straw? Prayer is a brick. Prayer is a brick. The second brick is worship. Worship. Worship in heaven is 24-7. A phrase that I felt like God gave me for this year is is, um, a year of worship. A year of worship. And we we actually ended... um, like our years of family, our son Josiah was here before he went back to school in Reading, and his girlfriend was here with him, and they're both like worshipers. And so we had a family worship night um, before they went back to school, and, and that was kind of like our, our last hurrah with them, just worship. And then uh, Faith, actually, um, <laughs> our daughter spent, rang in the new year in her room by herself in worship. <laughs> We were we went to bed. We were tired. We had church the next morning, but she did that. Um, but it, it's just, you know, we ended the year and, and started the year, and then as a church family, we did actually four days of worship, including the Sunday, and then the three nights where we came together for nights of worship. And many of you were a part of that. In fact, some of you took the challenge and were here every night. And you actually rearranged your schedule to be here. You changed work appointments. And you canceled plans. That is not nothing. See, there's something about the intention to make Jesus a priority that will shift spiritual atmospheres that otherwise would not be shifted. This is when we know revival is happening. This is when we know. When the people of God are willing to do whatever it takes, no one has to be convinced. No one has to be highly encouraged. No one has to be motivated or strongly suggested. You just do it because you get it and you want it. See, I'm done with forcing the issue. I I did a lot of our, our early ministry striving and pulling people along, and it's like I felt like there was a rope, and I would just like, everyone hang on to the rope. Like, come on. Let's go. I'm pulling you along. Come on. We got this. You know, and I felt like I did that for so many years in ministry with so much striving just to convince people that Jesus was worth it. 
and I'm so done because I don't need to convince anyone. I just need to live my life like that, and I feel like people will get it. You'll see it. You, I, I think you already get it. See, I'm doing it, and I hope you join me. But if you don't, I'm doing it anyway. There is a cost to revival. There is a cost to the new that we feel like God is calling our church into. We talked about it last week a little bit. There's a new that God is declaring over our church, but it will not just happen. It won't. In order to move into the new, there we have to leave behind old habits and ways. We must be willing to change, to give more, to rearrange some things, to sacrifice some things. I'm going to do it. I'm going to. Craig's going to do it. We've made a decision. I hope you'll do it too. I believe that some of the reason we haven't seen all the things that's been prophesied over our church, and even on an individual level, maybe you're like wondering why you haven't seen some of the things on an individual level that's been prophesied over your life. I believe some of the reason is because we haven't been willing to give what's required. Because it doesn't just happen. My prophetic destiny is not a guarantee. It's up to me. This church moving into the new is, is not a guarantee. It's up to us. And it starts, I believe it starts with me. It starts with Craig. We have to lead well. leadership has to lead well. So if you're a pastor at this church, you better be a laid-down lover. You better be willing to give it all. And I don't call them out. I know they also don't care if I call them out. They're used to it. you're a leader in this church in any capacity in your home you better be willing to give it all your families depend on you your kids need you to do it moms and dads your children depend on it if you want to leave a legacy if you want it to be lasting and not blown away with a huff and a puff because you built with straw and sticks. Our city depends on us. Why would we only sacrifice so much? So many of us, so many of you have, have moved. You've followed the Lord. You've, you've, you've stepped out in risk. You've done extremes for, for him. Why would, you, why would you give so much and get to this place and sacrifice so much to get here to now only give him 50% or to now only give him 80%? It doesn't make any sense. Do we really just want to escape through the flames? Worship is a brick. Worship is a precious stone that will change us, but it's not four songs on a Sunday morning. We're, Ryan can only lead us so far. We have to take personal responsibility in our worship. Worship is all the time. Worship is, 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 is feeding our souls. It, we need to stop feeding our souls and our spirit with, with, with trash. And, and start nourishing our spirit with treasure of worship. Worship will flip the switch. Worship will fight battles. Worship will transform atmospheres and cities. It will change your home life. It'll change, it, it'll change your, your prayer life, actually. It will, it will change your relationships. It will change your workplace. Heaven is worship. Heaven is 24-7 worship. Heaven, our lives should be an in-person view of heaven. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And, and, and the, the four living 
creatures and the 24 elders are gathered around the, the throne. And the four living creatures with eyes and wings, and it's so crazy. You should read it, but it's just so crazy. But it says that they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they say this over and over and over and over. And then they say it, and then when, when they finish their, their little saying, their worship, their prayer, right in that moment, the 24 elders are ushered in to this beautiful arrangement after the, the living creatures say, holy, holy, holy. Then the 24 elders, they literally lay flat on their face and they take their crowns and they lay it down before the Lord, before God. And then they cry out together and then they say, worthy are you. O Lord our God, to receive the glory and the honor and the dominion forever. And then it goes back to the four living creatures, and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then again, the 24 elders lay their crowns down at the feet of the one who's worthy and says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive the glory and the honor and power and dominion forever. And then the four living creatures say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is. And then the 24 elders lay their crowns down, for you are worthy to receive all the glory and honor and power forever. And this goes on and on and on and on forever. Wow. Worship is a brick. Worship is key in our prayer life. It goes hand in hand. Bill Johnson says this. He says, if I have 15 minutes, I only have 15 minutes, 10 of those will be spent in worship, and then I submit my request to the Lord. Worship is a brick. The third one and final one is the word. The word. We have access to the greatest revelation on the planet ever given to man in the word of God. And we have an open invitation to encounter the living God as we devour the book he's given us. But it sits on open. Why is that? Why do we limit it sometimes to the verse of the day on our Bible app? <laughs> Bare minimum, click that button that says read the whole chapter. <laughs> But why do we do that? See, I want Jesus to be my, my one thing. I want to know the ways of the Lord and walk in the ways of the Lord. I want the pursuit of him to be the one factor that all decisions of my life run through. Not my best friend, not my Google search, not the internal moments of contemplation. Well, how should I do this? But I want the word to be where every decision flows through. This is the brick I want to build with. I cannot do this if I do not know what he's saying. If I am not in the word, I cannot do this. I will make it up. I will justify. I will reason things out. I will look at culture. I will be impacted by it. I, I cannot do it if I am not in the word. And Sunday morning, you know, m the 30 to 40 minute message that's presented is not enough. It's not enough. We need to get into the word till the word gets into us. This is, there's no shortcuts to this. This will take time. This will take energy. This will take study. Bricks are heavy. See, we all have that one thing that our choices and our decisions run through, and it's different for all of us. It could be a person. It could be um, a habit or a good thing or something that kind of like, well, I want to do this, but I don't, I, like I really like these doing this pattern over here and if I if I spend more time over here with Jesus then I won't be able to do this thing and it's like you run all your decisions through it you might not even recognize it whatever you run your life through is your God so if it's not Jesus it's an idol so, for instance, if you have a very, this is just an, an example to help give you some context. If you have a very strict um, eating regimen, like I only eat this way, okay? Yeah, I'm only eating keto, okay? That's just, that's it. And I am like, you know, intent on that, right? And then you want to, you want to go away for the day. 
maybe with your spouse or a friend, and you're going to go to a restaurant that's not keto-friendly. If you decide to not go based on your diet, then keto is your idol. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you're running your decisions through that. So it's very interesting that the things that might be even good for us, if they take priority and every decision runs through them, they've become an idol in our life, and the only person that should have that place is Jesus. I've recently learned this, um, even on a personal level, where I've realized there's been things that I had, good, good things in my life, good practices that I had in my life that I w- this was adding value, I felt, to my life. But then I realized, whoa, all of my decisions are running through that. That's not okay. And I've kicked down that idol because I will not put anyone in place of Jesus. I have to make that decision every day, though, because you know it will pull you back in. Those idols will pull you back in. I will not build my life centers around or filled with things that are not eternal. I will not put anything above the Lord in my life. If things are out of alignment in your life, ask the Lord, help me bring them back into alignment today. Reorder yourself. Press on. Everything else is trash. Craig talked about it last week. It's all trash. It's all garbage compared to following Jesus. We need the health of the word of God persistent in our lives. Nothing will make me more hungry than eating the pages of, of, of the Bible. Nothing can compete with the firm foundation of the word of God in my life than, than the Bible. I need it like I need air. Because without it, I am tossed by the wind. The winds will blow. I will crumble. The rain will fall. The floods will come. I will feel like I'm drowning. Ever feel like you're drowning? It's, it's, it's because we haven't maybe built our lives with the materials that are lasting. These bricks of prayer, of worship, and, and word are eternal. But they're also for the here and now. Because you cannot sustain the hardship and swipes of luck. The huffing and puffing of your enemy, the pain of circumstantial surprises without them, our houses will come down. This is not a game. The end will come one day. We know we will all stand before Jesus by ourselves. I will stand there by myself. And he will ask of me what I built my life with and on. He will ask of me, Renee, what did you build your ministry with and on. I don't want to stand there and watch as it's tested with fire and watch it all go up in smoke. What a waste of my one life. I want to be the one boiling my enemy alive and feasting on my victory, not the other way around. Why don't we stand? You choose your pig. And so do I. Let me pray for you as we end today. Father, I thank you for the tremendous congregation of your people in the room today. I thank you for their desire to follow you all in. I pray that as they leave today, that they would have the courage to ask, God, what do you want me to do? What is one thing that I can change? What is one brick that I could pick up? Maybe realign some things. What is that one thing? And that as they hear you, that they would have the faith to move forward in what you're asking. I thank you that you only ask of us what is good for us. 
give us courage today and give us faith to stand on your word and to build our life with lasting materials, the precious stones, the bricks. So that when we reach heaven one day and our works are tested with fire, they will stand true because they were built with that lasting stone. I pray that you protect each one, protect each family, each child represented, each mom and dad, extended family members, God, and I pray that you would use the people in this room. We only need a few to transform our city. We only need a few to transform the globe. Just a few set on fire to do tremendous things in the kingdom of God. So God, let us be the few. In your name and for your glory, God. Amen. Thank you.